But Siyata Dishmaya, we're going to continue with our lessons on Achava Israel, Baruch Hashem. And so now, good timing, because guess what? It's actually matching up with the Parsha of the week. The selling of Yosef, the Maraglim, and misinformation. And so, Sinahinam is a horrendous sin with many disastrous consequences. We know the Gemara teaches that it was Sinahinam that caused the destruction of the second Bet Amidash. And so, the verse in Echa, crying, you shall cry in the night. The Gemara asks, why is the word cry used twice? The Gemara answers, when the Jews in the wilderness heard the frightening report of the Miraglam, the spies that Moshe Rabbeinu sent to Eretz Israel, they cried as the Torah states, the people went, the people wept that night. We see this at Bad Midbar. This happened on Tisha B'Av. Hashem said, you cried for no reason. I promise that you will cry for generations. That is, the Jewish people cried on Tisha B'Av for no reason. For the words of the Megraglam were not true. And as punishment, Hashem said, I will give you a reason to cry. And so the destruction of the Bet HaMikdash, which took place on Tisha B'Av. And that's why the verse mentions crying twice. Clearly, then the sin of the Meraglim resulted in the destruction of the Bet HaMikdash. But the Gemara teaches that it was Sinachinam that caused the destruction. And so the answer is, Sinachinam was the immediate cause. But the sin was in truth rooted in the sin of the Meraglim. The sin took place on a smaller scale many years earlier. And what occurred later was a continuation of that sin. What is the connection between the two sins? The Meraglim smoked Lashon about Eretz Israel. They looked at the land with a negative eye and had a pessimistic interpretation of what they saw. This negativity and pessimism are the underlying causes of Sinachinam. Someone who has a positive outlook and is optimistic will never focus on his friend's flaws. He will love his friend and care for him and live at peace with him. It goes further than that. The sin of the Meraglam was rooted in another sin, the sin of Yosef's brothers. Indeed, the Malbim in, 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 um, in uh, Eretzemda and Parashat Shlach writes in the name of the Yarizal, that the 12 spies were the Gigulim and the reincarnations of the souls of the 12 Shabbatim that were returned to this world. And furthermore, the Chida writes in the name of the Yarizal that the sin of selling Yosef was actually the reason the Jewish people could not enter Eretz Israel immediately. And however, they were given a chance to rectify their sin in the form of the Miraglam. Had they returned with the positive report about Eretz Israel, the earlier sin would have been rectified and Bnei Israel would have entered Eretz Israel sooner. When the brothers came to buy food during the famine, Yosef made a false allegation against them as part of his plan to reveal himself. He accused them of being spies, saying, you are spies. We see this in the book of Bereshit. Simply, this means you came to spy out the weaknesses of the land of Egypt. But the deeper explanation is that Yosef was telling them that they would return again in the episode of the spies. Ten of the twelve brothers sinned with the sin of selling Yosef, and ten of the twelve Maraglim sinned with their slanderous report. And based on this, the Balaturim writes that Yosef said, You are spies, alluding to the fact that Yehoshua, who was a descendant of Yosef, did not participate in the sin of the Maraglim. Yosef was telling them, The sin of the spies will be committed by your descendants, not mine. To that, Yehuda replied, no, we are not spies. 
alluding to the fact that the caliph, his descendant, would also not join in the sin. Interestingly, the Kidah, the Kidah, quote, Rav Shlomo Ashruk of Rishon, that the reason the Moshe Rabbeinu prayed for Yehoshua was because he was afraid that the spies might try to kill him. And this seems to be a clear repetition of the sin of Yosef's brother, who at first wanted to kill him. As a Maraglam, the Gigulim of the 12 Shabbatim were returned to this world. Obviously, they were sent to rectify their sin of selling Yosef. So what's the connection between that sin and the sin of the spies? The Rambam uh, uh, discusses the concept of korbanos. And the korban that serves as a public atonement of offering is always the he-goat. He explains that this is because the first sin of the Jewish people as a whole began with man and his fellow involved in a he-goat. When the brothers sold Yosef HaSadik in order to hide the truth from their father Yaakov, they slaughtered a he-goat and dipped Yosef's coat in its blood. And they showed the bloody coat to Yaakov, insulting that Yosef, no, insinuating that Yosef had been attacked and killed by a wild animal. And the purpose of a korban is that a person should focus on his sin and always remember it. And since this sin of the brothers was the first source for all of our sins between man and his fellow, we must constantly remember it. So the mission of the Maraglam was to rectify the sinachinam that the Shvatim had for Yosef. And how were they to do so? By developing a positive outlook and seeing the good in others. But they failed. They spoke Lashon about Eretz Israel. They looked at the land negatively. The sin of Sinachinam was not rectified, and it therefore resulted in the destruction of the second Beth Amigdash. And so, if the root of Sinachinam that caused the destruction of the Beth Amigdash was the result of the sin of Yosef's brothers, which was repeated in the sin of the Miraglim, it would be beneficial to contemplate the source of these two sins, therefore attaining a better understanding of what causes Sinachinam. And so the incident of the Maraglam is recorded in Parasha Shalak. The previous Parsha relates the case of Miriam, Moshe Rabbeinu's sister, who spoke Lashon about him and was punished with Saras. And Rashi, in the name of the Midrash, asks why the Torah placed the section about Miriam just before the episode of the Maraglam. And he answers that these men should have recognized that Miriam was punished for speaking Lashon and they should have applied the lesson to themselves. But these wicked men saw what happened and they did not learn from it. And parenthetically, Rav Yehezkiel Levenstein points out that we see from here that if they had contemplated the case of Miriam, they would not have sinned. And this is a powerful lesson. If they would have given it thought, they would not have sinned. And they... And if they, they had not sinned, then we would have entered Eretz Israel immediately. And the Mekdamindash would never have been destroyed because it would have been built by Moshe. And we see from here that the power of Hizbonenu's contemplation can change a person and can change the whole world. So the Rambam clearly states that the importance of contemplating the case of Miriam, he writes, the verse states, remember what Hashem, your God, did to Miriam. We see this in the, in, in, in the, in the Varim. Remember. Remember what Hashem your God did to Miriam? Remember. Doesn't just mean to say the word Miriam every day. It means to contemplate and think about the incident. And he gives these examples of contemplation. Miriam spoke about her younger brother. 
She raised him. She risked her life to save him. She didn't really say anything negative about, uh, about him. Her mistake was equating him with other prophets. Moshe was not upset by her words, as I stated that Moshe was the humblest of men. So among the factors listed by the Rambam is that Miriam didn't really say anything negative about Moshe. So what she actually said was 100% correct. A prophet shouldn't separate from his wife. Her mistake, as noted, was that she didn't realize that Moshe was on a higher level of prophecy. And this is a very important lesson. This is often the main cause of Lashon Hara. We don't have all the facts. We see and interpret the facts based on what we think we see without having the full picture. And this lack of understanding was the cause of the Meraglim sin as well. Hashem had promised that Eretz Yisrael would be a great land, yet the Meraglim saw things differently. They looked at the land in the wrong way and thus interpreted what was really good to be bad. And when one has a warped perception, he sees everything differently. For example, the Meraglim reported that Eretz Yisrael is a land that consumes its inhabitants. And Rashi explains that what, wherever they went, they saw people burying the dead. However, Hashem purposefully caused those deaths so the inhabitants would be busy with their funerals and would not pay attention to the spies. So what they perceived as bad was actually the opposite. It was for their benefit. So one of the most difficult episodes in the Torah to understand is the selling of Yosef. How could the Shvatim, ten great Sadiqim, sell their brother? Just imagine the greatest Gadolei Israel of our time, whom everyone turns to for guidance and blessing, joining to sell an 11th Rosh Yeshiva. It would be unfathomable. And yet it took place with people no less than the 10th Shvatim. How could this be? And the Sephorno writes that the brothers considered Yosef a Rodeth, a danger to the Jewish people. They ruled that he was therefore deserving of death, as is the law of a Rodeth. And looking back at history, we see that Abraham had a son, Ishmael, whom he distanced. And Yitzhak also had a son, Esau, who he distanced. And now Yaakov was seemingly choosing Yosef as his heir and distancing the brothers. And Yosef was speaking Lashon about them. They therefore deemed him to be a threat to the Jewish people. And furthermore, Yaakov was teaching Yosef what he had learned for many years earlier in the yeshiva Hashem and ever. Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky writes, that those were special teachings that had enabled Yaakov to survive his galut living with Lavan and would enable Yosef to survive his galut in Egypt. The brothers knew that the Jewish people would go down to Mitzrayim, but the, to the brothers, it now seemed that only Yosef would go to Egypt because Yaakov was transmitting the special teachings of Shem and Ever only to Yosef. So, so, so the facts seemed to lean towards their theory that Yosef was indeed a threat to them. And in actuality, however, Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky explains, Yosef was taught these lessons because only he would be exiled in Egypt alone, without his brothers and his family. Only he would need those special teachings. On the other hand, the brothers and their families would come to an existing yeshiva established by Yehuda. Nobody knew the facts, including Yaakov, but Hashem orchestrated events in such a way that Yosef was taught the lesson that he would need. The brothers interpreted the available facts to prove that Yosef was a threat to the Jewish people, and based on that, they were right to sell him. Their misinformation led them to hate him and ultimately try to kill him. This very scenario repeated itself with the sin of the spies. How? The ten spies, who were actually the ten Nisayim, leaders of the tribe, deemed Yehoshua to be a threat. 
they knew that Moshe would eventually die and that Yehoshua would succeed him. And when they returned from their mission, Yehoshua did not join them in their negative report about Eretz Yisrael. They thought, of course Yehoshua wants to go to Eretz Yisrael, even though it's dangerous for us because he wants to be the leader. Therefore, he is a threat to the Jewish people. His life was in danger from the same type of misunderstanding that had resulted in the sale of Yosef. They didn't have the whole story, so history repeated itself. And this will continue until we absorb the lessons that we don't always know the whole story. So we've been discussing that one main, one of the main causes for Lashon Ara and Sinach Hinam is that we don't always have all the facts. And even when we do, we interpret them the way we want. The Torah and Shemot commands, do not accept a false report. And Rashi explains that this includes two prohibitions. First, do not accept Lashon Ara. And secondly, that a judge may not hear one side of a case before hearing the other, meaning that both litigants must be present when a case is brought before the judge. So why are two seemingly different laws not to accept Lashon Ara and that a judge is not permitted to hear one side before the other sourced in the same verse? What's the connection between the two? And to answer this question, let's explore these two prohibitions. The prohibition of Lashon Ara applies even if the story is true and the Chofetz Haim teaches this so if so why does the verse refer to the report as false and the answer is that it may be false because you don't have all the information or because you don't know how to interpret the information so even though it might seem true it's considered false and regarding the prohibition of a judge hearing one side first one may wonder why this is so he won't rule until he hears all the parties to the dispute so the answer is that first impressions are strong. Whomever he hears first will paint a seemingly truthful picture and the onus will be on the second person to undo that impression. But if they are together, there will be a check on one another. Each one may interject, respond, dispute, correct. The ruling will not be based on one-sided opinion and both sides come together in a package and this is very important. So these two prohibitions are strongly, are strongly related. The message is one and the same. We may not have all the facts. And even when we do, we tend to interpret those facts according to our own biases. The Rambam um, quotes Alexander Aphrodisi, a Greek philosopher who gives three reasons for disputes and the breakdown in communications. Number one, people want to win a fight. They think they are right and therefore they're not able to hear anything else. Number two, the topic is complex and there are many factors to account for. Number three, a person may lack the experience or intelligence to understand a certain topic. So the Rambam adds a fourth reason. We become habituated and we have preconceived opinions. And once we understand something one way, it's difficult to view it objectively. If you understand something one way, and I understand it another way, it's a breeding ground for arguments. And that is why, as we said, a judge is not permitted to hear one opinion before the other. And it's also in part the reason for Lashon Ra. I see things a certain way, which may lead me to instinctively reject an opposing opinion. Amazing how much we have to learn by thinking that we know something or by thinking that we have the whole picture figured out and how sinachinam and not 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 loving our brothers and not 
not loving our brothers and sisters and not giving chaschut and seeing and having an eye in tov. Look how much damage, look how much damage it gave the Jewish people. And are we still holding there today? Are we still holding there today? Are we looking at our brothers and sisters for anything less than them being perfect? Like seriously, are we looking at the ones with the kippah, without a kippah? Even the Jews, your Jews, your Jews, their process is their process. Their process in this world is between them and <laughs> So are we still giving them that that iron tov? And are we still looking at the good that's inside of them? That they also have a spark of Hashem inside of them as well as Jews all do? Are we doing that? That's food for thought, guys. We need to start to really have an iron tov on every Jew. On every Jew. So we see after Nishmaya, we're going to continue Bezat Hashem with these lessons. Bezat Hashem tomorrow. Baruch Adonai, Leolam, Amen, Ve Amen.